Right. Good morning, everybody. Would you stand with me real quick? I know I'm not as pretty as my wife. She normally opens up, but I think she's back there praying with, with someone. She's often doing that. So, <laughs> Anybody get wet the past couple of days? I think I got wet once or twice. <laughs> Don't complain. Don't complain. This is the reason why we, we get to eat so many peanuts is we got so much water that comes eventually. <laughs> We're going to jump right in. Um, first of all, thanks so much if you're here this morning braving the weather and braving the kind of the gloomy stuff that's been out there for the last couple of days. We're real thankful that you guys are here. We're going to have an amazing time, have a sense that the Lord is going to bring some breakthrough for people. Um, I'm going to be preaching in a few minutes on joy as we get ready for this season. We're going to go after that in a big way. Last week we talked about hope. This week we're going to talk about some joy. And I think God's going to give us some incredible breakthroughs. So we're going to trust him for that this morning. Amen? So if you would, just pray with me, and we're going to open up and worship. So Jesus, we just come, first of all, Lord, and just say thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Lord, thank you that you were willing to go to the cross for us, Lord. Um, Hebrews, Lord, says that for the joy set before you, Lord, you endured the cross. Lord, you despised the shame. You did all that because on the other side of that joy, Lord, that's where we were. And, Lord, you knew that was going to take all the sin out of the way. Lord, it was going to make a way where there wasn't a way where we could come, even in our brokenness, even though we were fully guilty. Jesus, you would have paid for all of our sin. You were going to pay for all of our sin. And you prayed in the garden, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But nevertheless, your Lord, Father, your will be done, not my own. And so, Lord, we say the same thing this morning. Lord, this morning we choose to enter into worship. Lord, it's a choice we make. Lord, we come and we say, Lord, Lord praise is a weapon, Lord God. Praise is something we do, even with, whether we feel like doing it or whether we don't feel like doing it, Lord. It's, it's a weapon. It puts a, clar- a, a garment over us, Lord. It puts a, a clothing over us, Lord, that lifts us out of despair. And so, Lord, this morning we praise you because of who you are, Lord. We praise you because of what you've done. Lord, and we praise you for your great love for us, Lord, and we just bask in that love this morning. We receive every good gift that comes down from the Father of lights. Lord, your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your goodness is ours, Lord, because we're sons and daughters in you. And so, Lord, we receive that, Lord. We receive peace, Lord, this morning. When the world around us is falling apart, we receive peace, Lord. We receive joy. We walk in every good thing you've given. In Jesus' name, amen.
went to the emergency room. He's our little boy in kids' church. It's Tim and Christina's little boy. Um, So we're going to pray over Ben this morning because he needs to be healed immediately in the name of Jesus. And um, for some of you that know his story, he was born. um, He's a miracle. He is literally a miracle little boy. They did not expect him to live. He had surgery on his heart when he was like four days old, I think it was. But um, he's in the hospital, and so we are going to war over this little boy. Not only that, if you need healing in your body, this morning I want you to stand and I want you to raise your hand. If you need healing in your body, stand and raise your hand. If you need healing in your mind, in your mental capacity, I want you to raise your hand. If you've been battling depression, if you've been battling fear this morning, raise your hand. There is a body that wants to come around you. You are family in this place this morning. In this house, you are family. There is no name, no diagnosis, no sickness, no disease that is greater than the name of Jesus. The Father has declared that that name was exalted above every other name in heaven and earth and under the earth. There is no demonic power that is greater than the blood of Jesus. It is more than enough for what you face this morning. It is more than enough. And as we are in this season of Jesus being born and God himself becoming a babe and living among us and dwelling among us in fleshly form. His name has been exalted. The power of the resurrection this morning, the blood of Jesus, that is a covenant spoken over you. It is an eternal covenant that cannot be broken. So this morning we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna do this song again the blood of Jesus. There is no rival. There's no equal. The blood of Jesus over you, over me this morning. So let's sing that together. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Father, we come right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, and we pray over Ben. God, we prevail. The purposes of God prevail over his life in the mighty name of Jesus. We speak healing over his throat, over infection over reaction in the name of Jesus and speak healing over his body in Jesus' name. Lord, we speak, Lord, over the things in this body, Lord God. Cancer, dry up and be gone in the mighty name of Jesus. We rebuke you and we release the healing of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that 
you have said we have a mind of peace, Lord. We have a mind of peace, of love, power, and a sound mind, Lord. You did not give us a spirit of fear, God, that you came to heal the brokenhearted, Lord. God, that you came and you set the mind free, Lord, of depression, Lord God, and mental brokenness, Lord. You are healer this morning. The blood of Jesus, there is no rival. There is no rival. There is no sin too great. There is no shame too great. The blood of Jesus declares wholeness in this house, Lord, this morning. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Amen. Amen. What a powerful name it is. Yeah, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Let's go. Keep that one. Let's go. rival there is no equal I don't know how you think or what your perception is of Jesus I don't know if you think he's just maybe a little bit more powerful than the enemy that you face this morning but I want to tell you he far exceeds the destruction of the enemy he defeated him on your behalf on my behalf so that I could have everything that pertains to life and godliness in my lifetime here in this temporary life of 70 80 90 years He has provided everything that I and you need, that we need. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship in this next song, y'all. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart. I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to
Shine through 
Yeah, Lord, we do. We speak the name of Jesus into every circumstance this morning. God, thank you that you are more than enough, Lord. You are more than enough for every need in this place. Jesus, you are more than enough for every breakthrough. You are more than enough for every healing. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you this morning. You are worthy, Lord. Lord, we speak the name of Jesus for our family, Lord. We speak the name of Jesus to be breakthrough in our families, Lord. We speak the name of Jesus to be breakthrough in our next generations of the children, the children's children, and the children's children, Lord. That this morning there would be the breakthrough of our great God, Lord. For them to walk in the purposes and the plans and the, 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 just that your purposes would prevail over them, Lord. That there is a destiny on the next generation. There is a destiny on every generation, God, because you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of generations, Lord. And your great works, your mighty works, Lord, are given, Lord, and they are poured out from one generation to the next. Lord, we declare that this is a house of healing and miracles, Lord, and breakthrough, Lord, a house of freedom and praise from everything that would hold captive, Lord, that you are the one who breaks every bondage and sets free every captive this morning, Lord. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, the God who is near, the God who is close, Lord. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. We bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name, Lord. Thank you. Amen and amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are so glad that you're with us. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're joining us. And um, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. You can do a connection card at DothanCF.com. Click on you here, and we would love to get in touch with you. And um, hear a little bit of your story, what brought you to DCF, and who we are, and where we're going in the future, and our vision for this church. And um, our favorite time of year is coming up with our Ladies Ornament Exchange. That is today. It is going to be at 4.30 until 7 at Amenta's house. And we love that she's hosting. And it is a wonderful time for ladies to get together. And if you need directions, please just come and see me. We'll get you. It's really easy. It's just straight out 84. So um, for families, mark down December the 15th. This is a family event. It's dinner and a movie um, cardboard box cars decoration for the drive-in up here at the front. We're going to be doing Elf together, and uh, lots of details are in the newsletter and on the website, so you can check that out if you need more. And then on the 17th, we're going to be doing our kids' Christmas party and the sing-along, and um, they're getting ready and preparing for that. So you can enjoy and uh, invite relatives to come and enjoy that morning with us. And other families, maybe that are at work, co-workers, things like that, that don't have an extended family to connect into during the holiday season, we would love for them to be a part of that with us. So please invite and bring people, invest in friendship and relationship with them, and make them a part of our family here. And um, on De no, yeah, December the 31st, we are going to be doing testimonies. So you're going to be seeing um, some things of like, you know, what has been a struggle this last year? What has the Lord done? How has he brought breakthrough or miracles or provision for you? We want to hear about that because testimonies of the Lord's goodness builds faith among us within our body. And it becomes the prophetic invitation for the Lord to do it again in your life as well. So we will be doing those on December the 31st. We're also going to have some testimony walls up over here so you can be filling those out through the month of December. And 
There's multiple ways to give online, DothanCF.com, and there's the box up here if you're just going to do a personal check. And we're going to dismiss our kids and our youth right now. Kids are going straight back. Youth are going with me and Callie over to the right. So, well, you're left. And Dave's going to be right back with a message, y'all. All right. Good morning, everybody. We started a series last week called A Savior is Born. And so I just want to uh, remind us again, as Karen said uh, during uh, the announcements, we want to invite people who maybe don't have a home church or maybe don't know the Lord themselves uh, personally. It could be a neighbor. That could be one of your family members. There's all kinds of different people, obviously, that that's going to apply to. But uh, sometimes you just don't know how to do that. So I just want to encourage you. One of the things you can do is just be bold and just walk up to somebody and say, hey, my church, as the kids put it, is going to be slapping on Christmas, and so you need to attend. Maybe don't use that word, but I'm just saying, be bold and just ask. So many times, if we don't ask, um, we say it this way, don't, don't say people's no for them. Like in your head, you've you figured out like 10 different ways that they're going to tell you no, you know, and they're going to tell you, you know, we've hated Christians this whole time, and they're going to burn your house down. Like, I don't know how that gets in our head, but it's just not true 99.9% of the time. Um, so just be bold and ask people. Say, hey, if you don't have anywhere to be on, on Christmas uh, for your Christmas service, man, we would love to invite you to come be a part with us. And then invite them to come, meet them at a certain time, show up at that time. <laughs> if you're going to meet them here, make sure you're here when they get here. Invite them to come and sit next to you. And oftentimes that's the catalyst that, that uh, begins a relationship with a person in, in uh, who God says they are and who God wants to be in their life. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. We are always uh, planning our services with guests in mind. Scripture speaks to that when we come together as a body. The Bible says if an unlearned or unbeliever comes in, that you change things. It's not that we water down the gospel. We'll never do that. But you do recognize that there are people in here who maybe don't understand all the Christian terms, you know, the Christianese that we use. So we just pay attention to that. So we plan our services with guests in mind. So again, just uh, you can be confident that when your guest comes, they're going to have a good experience and they're going to encounter the presence of God. That's our promise to you. So I want to start out with uh, uh, just a simple uh, Bible concept. Um, joy is found in what will be, not just in what is. So you find this truth throughout Scripture um, you, you find this sense of anticipation in the people of God, and you see this in a huge way um, in, the, in the Christmas story. Obviously, the Christmas story is the anticipation being fulfilled. Um, the Messiah has been promised for you know, thousands of years, and now he's showing up as a human being, as a person, as a baby born in a manger, and so we're going to get that in just a second. But let me start with a, a story. Uh, last Christmas, we, we purchased a, um, a tree uh, it, we usually do like live trees and then they die. You know, that's the problem with live things. So anyway, it dies and it becomes a, 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 a hazard. It's liable to catch you on fire because my wife doesn't ever want to take her Christmas tree down. So by March, you know, it's become a fire hazard. And so normally it makes a huge mess. And so you have to take all the ornaments off. It's just a whole thing. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm, I'm talking about. And to my great surprise and, and joy, my wife said this year when we take the Christmas tree down, we're actually not going to take the Christmas down or Christmas tree down. And so the first thought in my head was, that means we're going to leave it up all year long, which is probably something she would do if I would let her. But she said, no, we're going to wrap it in cellophane and put it in a room and store it till next year. And I got excited because I like wrapping things in cellophane. <laughs> so we literally, I'm going to put a picture up, we literally wrapped that sucker in cellophane. It's the green stuff you get at the moving place, right? And it's a big roll. So we were literally just walking around it. I started getting dizzy. We wrapped it ornaments and all. I mean, the only thing, no topper on the top. Wrapped it all the way around underneath the bottom. 
And then she brought it out this year. And she was, she all, I'm telling you, all year long, from time to time, in the middle of the summer, she goes, I cannot wait to get my Christmas tree out. <laughs> and she says that anyway, but she was super excited because she, in, in, in wrapping this, her, her concern was that when we moved it out to the, into the garage to store it in one of the little closets, that at some point all the, you know, ornaments were going to fall out. Um, I read somewhere, uh, it might even be someone in here, um, where an a- animal got up into the Christmas tree and, you know, and st- started doing some things. But anyway, we got it out this year. Karen's been anticipating this all year. And then she, the next picture, she cut this thing open and um, it looks like the Grinch going through surgery. It wasn't, it was a, but if you notice all the ornaments, I mean, she literally cut it down and started unwrapping it very carefully. The next picture, I think the next picture is, yeah, she got it all the way down to the bottom and now open it up the bottom, how many ornaments have fallen off? And the, the good news is only one ornament actually fell off. And she put that right back on there. And she put it up there. And now it's, this is our Christmas tree. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> right? So the thing about this is the anticipation that my wife had. I, you know, she gets excited about opening presents. And I love that about her. I think she was more excited about opening her Christmas tree than the presents that were going to go under the Christmas tree. The anticipation literally was powerful. But she was just like... I cannot wait. I'm like, if you want, like this is July. If you want, I'll go cut it open right now and see where it is. We'll rewrap that sucker. If that just helps you with your anticipation. <laughs> but she didn't. So she made it through. And so part of the reason why I show you that is, is Christmas is so often, especially with your kids, is all about that anticipation. You know, I remember when I was younger and you guys did the same thing. You're like, you're dreaming of getting that, whatever that thing is, whether it's, you know, it's the BB gun you're going to shoot your eye out with or whatever it is, you're just dreaming about it. And then the anticipation builds because at some point, you know, that anticipation, it's, it gets more and more exciting because at some point it's going to pay off. You hope, right? <laughs> like maybe you get socks. I don't know. Maybe your mom's not going to let you get that uh, BB, BB gun, but your, your anticipation builds and builds and builds until it, it, until it comes to this place where it's finally fulfilled. And so this is what happens in the Christmas story, of course. And so um, there's this interesting passage. This is in Luke. Um, the Christmas story is in, you know, in Matthew and Luke. But there's a lot more insight that comes through Luke. Luke goes through, he's, he's a doctor, and so he's used to writing things down in detail. And he, he, he gives an account in, in uh, Luke that Matthew doesn't have. And so one of those is found in Luke 139. So let me just kind of set the scripture up, set the stage for this. Um, there's a woman named Elizabeth, and it turns out Elizabeth is pregnant under miraculous circumstances. She's apparently, you know, too old to have babies. Her husband's too old to have babies. It's reminiscent of another promise that we see in the Old Testament. And so um, she's pregnant, and it's a miraculous pregnancy. And so people are excited about it. Um, and then Elizabeth is, just so happens to be Mary's cousin. And so um, Mary comes and she visits Elizabeth, and this is what it said. I'll just read the passage, Luke 139. It says that, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is also pregnant, as is Mary, both miraculously. Uh, it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside of her leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So something happened just as Mary came in, and the, you know, the, the Messiah, um, the Messiah is there, obviously, and in, in, in something about being that close to the Messiah does something to both the baby that is going to be John the Baptist, right, the cousin of Jesus, and also to, to Elizabeth. She, the Bible says she's literally filled with the Holy Spirit when this happened. So it, go, it goes on, and it says, um, and she cried out with a loud voice, this is Elizabeth, and said, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Now think about that for a second. She said, the baby leaped inside me. The first part of it just said he leaped, but it didn't say why. And now we hear why. It says, the baby inside of me leaped in my womb, leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And that's an important passage. Blessed is she who believed that what God had said to her, he was going to fulfill. That is, in, in essence, that's what faith is. That you believe that God says something to you, and you believe that his promise is true. So often the challenge is, has God said? And if you remember in the book of Genesis, that's the one attack that the enemy brings against this brand new you know, human being, man and woman, they're trusting in God. They can have anything in the entire garden except one thing is, has been forbidden them. They have one law that they can't. And all you guys are thinking, you know what? It's hard to obey, you know, 630-something laws, you know, like in the, in the Old Covenant. But, man, if I only had one law, I mean, how hard could it be? <laughs> right? Apparently, it was pretty hard. It's like one law, and they broke it. And, and the enemy comes, and he says, he says um, did God really say? He, he always comes out with, is God, really, is, is God trustworthy? Can you really trust your heavenly Father? And that's the fight. Really, that's the battle that we fight before we become believers. Is the gospel really that good? Knowing what we know about ourselves, would he actually save us? And so it's a, it's a pretty big deal. So here's the question, though, when I read that passage. I remember the first time I read that passage, I was like, why? <laughs> Why such joy? I mean, I get, I get that she sensed the presence of the Messiah was there, obviously, in the Spirit. So I get that. But why, why did she do that? And, she, and it, it's interesting. She praises, Elizabeth praises Mary. She praises God, but she praises Mary. She's says, blessed is this woman, right? She praises her because she believed the promise that, that the, the angel um, brought to her, she actually believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Now, what's interesting, I don't go into this detail much, but if you go back and read the passage, part of the challenge when Elizabeth gets pregnant, her, her husband is serving as a priest. He, he's on a, a rotation. He's serving as a priest. Angel comes and says, this is what I'm going to do. It's crazy. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. But I'm, I'm going to do this. And so I'm gonna, your, your wife's going to get pregnant, and it's going to be a miracle. And he doesn't believe it. He pushes back and he believes it. And so when you go back and read the story, he, he's struck mute. He can't speak until, um, until the baby you know, is, is due and he's right there and they're going to name the baby. And then all of a sudden his, his mouth is open. And so there was a, a, there was a punishment, if, if you will, of his unbelief that because he couldn't believe it, God said, well, I'm going to keep you from saying bad things. <laughs> I'm going to keep you from the negative stuff that you're going to say over this baby's life and over your wife because you wouldn't believe the promise that I gave you. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting challenge. That's Old Covenant, so it's important to know that. But here's the thing. Maybe we can learn something from this. Because here's, here's, I think, what we learn. Is that in, in this baby, there was um, potential. So when Elizabeth senses that this is the Messiah, she, she starts praising God. Some of that is the Spirit of God moving through her, and that's true. But part of what was happening is she actually sensed something that wasn't happening now, but there was something that arose inside of her about what was actually going to happen later. And we know that because this is what she said in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed the Lord would fulfill. Not has. Even though that's true, potentially that's true. She said, blessed is woman because Mary actually believed that there, she was going to be pregnant without a human, a, a, you know, a human male. That's, she actually believed the supernatural, the miracle. She didn't know how. 
But, but she basically said, Lord, let it be done according to me. Just whatever you speak, I trust you, you're good, so I can trust you in my life. So Mary is blessed because she trusted in believing, trusted and believed in something that had not yet come to pass. And like I said before, faith is anticipating God will show up just like he promised. Do you have that this morning? Do you have the faith, the trust that God is going to do what he said in your life? It's interesting, Karen and I were talking about this not too long ago, about um, uh, there's this interesting passage Jesus talks about when the Son of Man comes back, because he just had some challenges with the disciples and their unbelief, and he's helping them try to disciple them and work their way through it. And he, he basically says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he even find faith on the earth? And, and the challenge is it becomes so easy with the overwhelming circumstances and the challenges of life, and especially when our culture is driving the me movement, right? Not the me too me movement, <laughs> the me movement. Everything is about how fast I can get it done, how, how it, can, you know, it can be more convenient. I don't know about you, if I go through it, drive through, and it doesn't happen in 15 seconds, I'm mad at the whole system. I'm like, if you guys would just let Chick-fil-A train you guys, all of this would go away, and it would just change everything if you let God into your drive through right? But I get impatient just like you do, and we forget just, just how good we actually have it. Um, there's so many ways that, that we could see this expressed, but it's so easy to get caught up in selfishness, um, and, and just thinking about ourselves and not thinking about any other people, and especially not thinking about God, and he has a promise and he has a plan, right? So there's this interesting, uh, there's this interesting uh, story um, you watch on TV every year, and it comes out on my TV, and, it, and you know it's old when it's no longer 16 by 9, but it's square. You know what I'm talking about? Because <laughs> I, I, I grew up watching a square television. You young guys have no idea what I'm talking about. But during uh, Christmas, you always see the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? And I love Charlie, I hate Charlie Brown, but I love the, the comic of Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown drives me crazy, um, probably because I'm more like Lucy than I am Charlie Brown. I hate to say it, but it's probably true. So he's, he's having trouble getting into the Christmas spirit. Uh, two reasons. One, because of his sad little Christmas tree. Remember the Christmas tree? And the second part is because of the commercialization of Christmas, right? And so Charlie Brown, as normal, is being gloomy. And his friend Linus said, Charlie, this is a quote, Linus said, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. <laughs> but the truth is, many of us have become Charlie Brown Christians, <laughs> right? We, 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 find it, we find it easier to complain about the things we don't have than to be joyful about the things that we actually do have. So we find ourselves bemoaning all the things that can be found wrong in the season um, granted, some of these issues, issues are valid. There's some real problems, some real challenges in our lives, and I get that. But many of them are so minimal in comparison to uh, problems other people have. And, there's, and quite frankly, they're just small problems, right? We call them first world problems. The fact that you have first world problems, is, it's embarrassing when you even complain about something that's a first world problem, right? Drive-through is, is a perfect example of that. But, but the truth is, there may be some of us who've been praying into some things for a really long time right? Elizabeth had been praying to have a baby for a very, very long time. And so what do you do when the prayers that you've been praying, when the promises that God has promised you have not come true in the timeline that you feel like they should have come true in? So what do you do? Do you buck up under the anticipation, let the anticipation grow, never let the unfulfilled promise as of yet damage your understanding of who God is and who he said you should be? Or do you let the lie of an unfulfilled promise as of yet tell you something about God 
that isn't true. And if we're honest, too often we fall into that category and we get ourselves in trouble. The truth is, God isn't done yet. God is always moving. It's interesting, there's a passage in the Old Testament that said that God is the God, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what does that mean? It, that's three generations of people. And, and the challenge with us in our modern world is, we don't think about the previous generation, and we often don't think about the next generation either. We think about how God works in my own life and the promises he's done with us. It's, a, it's one of the challenges of parenting in the modern day for a believer, that you are actually building something into your kids, and, and this is true whether it's, uh, whether it's raising kids in, na- in the natural or discipleship where you're raising kids in the spirit, that everything you're doing to build into them, you are probably not going to see the results anytime soon. And anybody with a toddler knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like, you're like, come on, would you just use your words? Say the words, use words. And then they start using words, and you're like, put your, head, your hands over your ears, like, would you please stop talking? <laughs> and your kid's like, make up your mind, mama. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here, right? Would you do this yourself? Would you put your own socks on? It's like, my goodness, when, when are you going to be independent? And then that first moment of their independent will where they go, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. You're like, how dare you question my, you know. <laughs> you see the dilemma? It's like, and if we're not careful... We get so caught up in the moment that we forget that God is moving through life, not just in a snapshot in one moment. And the danger for us is, especially during the season, is we capture a snapshot and we don't let the snapshot go. We just keep looking back. We just keep living in the past because, listen, every moment that goes by, that snapshot gets further and further and further and further in the past. But if you keep coming back to the negative things, that snapshot of the negative things, the unfulfilled or whatever it is that you think has happened, and you keep looking at it, and you keep looking at it, and you keep looking at it, what happens is you begin to, whatever you begin to dwell on, that's what you become. And you dwell on an unfulfilled promise without reminding yourself that he is faithful who promised, that all you ever get is this moment of God hasn't done it, and then it turns into God won't do it. And then you ask questions like, well, why won't he do it? Does he not love me? Is it because I've been in sin? Is it, and you, just, you go through this whole thing, and what you do is you begin to build a theology that is anything but truth. Your theology is just the study of God. And you study God, and if you study him inappropriately, you build a study that doesn't paint a true picture of who God is. So we have to be careful of that. So just like Jesus' presence in Mary when she was near Elizabeth brought joy— His presence in our life can do the same for us. Jesus coming into our life is the greatest joy that we'll ever have, uh, that we have ever received or ever will have. And it is the promise of something. It's a a guarantee. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit living inside of us, moving in us, is a guarantee of something even greater. It's a promise that everything that he's promised is going to be fulfilled completely and fully at some point in our life. And again, God is moving. So here's, an, here's another truth. Good news brings great joy. So you see this in the shepherds. Um, this is another passage in Luke, just a little bit further down. And you see this good news that comes to these shepherds. Now, shepherds, most of you guys know, shepherds not exactly this, you know, they don't exactly exude wonderful smells and great joy. In this, in this time frame, they were, they were thought of as unclean. They, they were smelly. They were not trustworthy. They stole things a lot. And so in that culture, shepherds were, you know, we talk about shepherds now with this in mind, you know, the picture of God coming to them. But, but they didn't think about shepherds like that back then. They were not a good class of people. So, With that in mind, let me read Luke 2.8. It 
It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I love God's superlatives. Not just good tidings. Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, not just some, but all. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah that you've been promised, who is Christ the Lord. That's what that means. And it says, and this will be a sign to you. Remember we talked last week about signs, that there are signs coming that are promises of God that he's actually going to fulfill what he promised that he was going to fulfill. It said, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. This is what that meant. This long-awaited promise was the good news of great joy. Well, what was it? And this is what the heavenly hosts, the choir of angels, were saying. They said, and let me read it again, glory to God in the highest. Why? Why is glory being given to God? Just because he's amazing, just because he's beautiful, just because he's perfect in every way? Yes, that's true, but that's not why they said this. And glory to God in the highest. Why? Peace is coming on earth because of what he's doing in this baby, in this Messiah, Peace is coming on the earth, and goodwill is towards men. But what about my sin? Goodwill towards men. Do you think God is ignorant of people's sin? Do you think he lost his contact lenses in the, in, in the garden, and he's, and he's been trying to see a you know, heavenly eye doctor for the past several thousand years? Or do you think he knew every single sin that every single person had ever committed for all time until the end and all of time that will, will exist? And the answer is, of course, he knew all of that. And still, his heart was goodwill towards men. This flies in the face of religion. You know what religion says? You better shine up. You're never going to be good enough. You, you can't do it. That's why you need Jesus. You better, and, and, and some of that is true. And that's the problem, is it mixes a lie with the truth. It paints a picture of God that is not fully true. That's why theology is so powerful. Studying God for what God says he is. He's, he's written it down in a best-selling book. He's demonstrated in his character and his nature with other believers around us. If you don't have a testimony, you're probably sitting next to someone who has a tremendous testimony. And as they share that, that testimony in their life is a promise that if God would do it for them, and he is no respecter of persons, if God would do that, that promise and fulfill that promise in that person's life, he will also do it in yours. Why? Goodwill towards men, even though you were a sinner. What God's saying is, I want to demonstrate my love first so that when you learn to trust me, you can let go of all the things that you thought were, un that were true about me. And now you can put that aside and you can begin to learn who I really am. Why? Because I'm demonstrating on the front side. You don't have to come and earn it. I'm demonstrating on the front side of who I am and what I'm going to do. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So when these shepherds saw these angels, the Bible said, great fear. Uh, most versions say they were terrified. <laughs> Why? Because they knew who they were. They weren't like, you know, oh, I'm a priest in the temple and I've been doing well, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. They were the shepherds that were there's a reason why those shepherds were thought of poorly, right? 
So they had their own sin. They had their own issues. They, had, they knew who they were, and yet God came and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appear before you as these angels. I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you something that's going to challenge everything that you know about yourself and about me. So listen to what they said again. Good tidings of great joy. I mean, not just good tidings, not just great joy, but the superlative. God just packs them on, right? God will do more than you can ask or think, right? According to his riches, it goes into these, all these scriptures go into these superlatives. It's like you just can't think of God good enough, so he helps you out with scripture to go, whatever you thought God was like, whatever good thing you thought about God, it's not even come close to who he actually is. And part of us, our, our journey as believers is the discovery process of discovering who God is and his faithfulness and his kindness and his goodness. Hear this, in spite of the circumstances that are trying to tell me a lie about who he is and because of that, about who I am. And that's the challenge we find ourselves in Christmas. It's, it's the challenge we find when we want to pray. Especially if you're a believer this morning. It's like, how can I even pray? I mean, if the Lord, Dave, if you knew what my life was like. I do because I know what my life was like, right? And God said, I love you and I'm going to save you anyway. But Lord, if you've known the times I've failed you, the Lord's like, I keep saying this. I know all the times you have failed me. I know all the times you are going to fail me. And I'm still going to come and hear your prayer, and I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to come to you. And why? Because all of this stuff that's happening is not because you're not because sin can do that to you. It's because you've let sin do that to you. You've let missing the mark, because that's what we talk about mostly in church is missing the mark. We hardly ever talk about the mark, right? So what's the good news for? The good news is here's, here's the mark. Jesus was the mark. He did it perfectly. And then he, now he exchanges his righteousness for your sinfulness. Why? So now you have the ability to hit the mark. And he loves you and he's poured himself into you. And when he does that, what does that do? It causes you to go, God, man, you're so amazing. You're so incredible. And what, what about if you sin? The Bible says you have an advocate, that Jesus with the Father is the advocate for sin. Everything he paid for, he said on the cross, it's finished. It's completely done. There is nothing else that you can add to what Jesus did on the cross. So stop trying to and just receive it as the promise that it is. Why? Because when you do that, something about you believing in the promises of God, you begin to trust him, you begin to lean into him, you begin to receive more more of him, and then because of that, you become more and more like him. Why? Because that's the thing that you behold. And the thing that you behold is what you're going to become, which is why the enemy wants you to dwell on the past, on the brokenness, on the hurt, on the pain, on the suffering, all of those things that, that are part of the circumstances of your life right now. So how do you get out of the circumstances of the life that you're living right now? The answer is stop focusing on the circumstances that are part of your life right now. Because the more you behold it, the more you're holding that snapshot up and thinking about, this is, you know, this is just my lot in life. It's not your lot in life. It's what the enemy wants your lot in life to be. You know why? Because then you're going to curse him. You're going to be angry at God. And so, God, if you were a good God, you would have saved my mother. God, if you were a good God, you would have rescued. And we give this whole list of things without taking into any account all the things that we have no idea about. And that's the picture that the enemy wants to paint of the enemy. So here's another thing that's really interesting. This is uh, 
found in Hebrews chapter 2. But before I get to that, I only reference a scripture I read last night, this, or last week. This is Isaiah 53, 5. I read this last week. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought his peace brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. So this is, this is what uh, theologians call the suffering servant. So here's what's interesting. There's a couple things that are interesting about this. One is, it was real easy for people to believe in the Messiah's birth, right? They, the promises were the Messiah's coming, so they would read the passages in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament and the uh, prophets about the coming you know, the coming Messiah, and he was amazing, and he was going to ride in on a white horse, and he's going to be a warrior, and he's going to destroy all the wickedness, he's going to set things straight, he's going to redeem all things, and their mindset was, this is a conquering king, and he is, but what they missed when they read the prophecies was this prophecy like this one that says, he was pierced for our transgressions, so they knew this was talking about the Messiah, but they didn't understand, why is he, he being pierced? Well, listen to this, why is he being pierced? Why is he being crushed? Why is punishment being uh, uh, put upon him? And why is he wounded? That makes no sense. If your mindset is of a conquering king, what is that for? And so Jesus begins to live this out. He comes into the earth. He's born as a Messiah. Some people begin to believe that. As he starts his ministry at you know, 30-something years old, 30, 30 years old, and then, and then eventually dies on a cross, People who celebrated him, the Bible says there were thousands who came to him, thousands who received healing, miracles by his hand, and by the time it was all said and done, there was 120 people in an upper room. Everybody else had fled and run, and even those 120 people were in hiding for good reason, at least in their head. Where were all the ones who thought he was the Messiah? And the answer were they were doubting, they were wondering, they were questioning their own experiences. Why? Because circumstances was telling them something about the Messiah they were not prepared to hear. And sometimes God wants to challenge us. Um, I've shared this all the time. You know, there's a scripture that says, uh, that talks about that uh, even the things that are, are meant for evil, even the things that are meant for harm in your life, God will take those things and turn them around and make them, the bad things, work for good for who? Those who love God and are, are called according to his purposes. In other words, God, I'm, I'm connected to you. I'm leaning in. I'm aligning myself. So even what the enemy has planned in your life, sickness and, and pain and heartache and all those things, everything that he has planned to turn you away from your God, none of those, if you love God, you fall in love with God, why? Because of what he's done for you. When you do that and you begin to lean in, something changes inside of you, and then you see God accurately for who he is, and then because of that, for what he wants to do in and through you. And so you become a recipient of his glory, his goodness, his kindness, right? You receive every good gift that comes down from the Father of lights. Why? Because you're not buying the lie that he is not a good God. But if you buy the lie through the circumstances that he's not good, guess what happens? Do you think you're willing to believe any promise that he's made now? When you go and read that he wants to heal you, that he wants to save you, he wants to deliver you, he wants to be your provision. When you see those promises and the circumstances, I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm putting you know, ends together. I, I'm, I'm struggling with this illness that doesn't seem to, to go away. All those things are, are circumstances that are, that are getting us to question, is this what God does? Is this who he is? And I know it's challenging because so often, even in this world, it seems final. And so the same picture is now, Jesus has died on the cross, right? Because again, his birth was easy to, to receive. Uh, the Messiah, as a suffering servant, was not so easy to receive. 
So this is where they are now, right? Hebrews 12, 2, this is what's fascinating about this. Jesus knew this was coming. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when you go read that story, he says, the Bible says he says it three times. Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Isn't that the picture of exactly what Mary said? Mary said, I believe what you said about what you're going to do in me. And because of that, Elizabeth praises her. Why? Not because of something that had happened. When Mary, when Mary saw this angel, just like her cousin Zachariah had seen an angel, Mary received that promise with faith. Said, Lord, I believe that you're true. I believe that you're good. I believe that you're going to do what you say. And because of this, Elizabeth said, that, that, that's worthy to be praised. My husband, on the other hand, <laughs> he didn't believe. And literally his mouth was shut, so he couldn't continue to speak unbelief over John the Baptist, the baby, and over his, his wife Elizabeth, the mother of that baby. So here's Hebrews 12, 2. In light of everything Jesus suffered, this is what it says. Looking unto Jesus, this is challenging us to look unto Jesus for a reason. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that starts it, but he's also the one that carries it to completion. You can't stop in the middle because of circumstances. It goes on. It says, who... For the joy, that's a very interesting word, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It doesn't say he enjoyed the cross, and it doesn't say you should enjoy your circumstances. Remember, we preached, I preached about this recently, about the difference from praising God for your circumstances and praising God in your circumstances. They are not the same, but it's a subtle lie. It's the same thing as, um, you know, the, the scripture I just quoted a minute ago about, about God taking all the things that the enemy meant for evil and making them work for good in your life. What we're, if we're not careful, what we read into that is, um, you know, God, you did this. You sent this sickness to me to teach me this. And there are whole segments of the modern church that tell you that God gives you sickness because he's trying to teach you something. And you know that's a lie because that's not how you think about your kids. I hope, Right? You know that healthy parents don't go, come here, little Johnny, let me give you the bubonic plague because you've been nasty and spilled the milk. Is that what we do as, kids, as, as parents to our kids? The answer, of course not. God is not a cosmic child abuser. Remember what he said to the Pharisees, to the religious people who were, who were painting a picture of God that wasn't true? This is what Jesus, this is the only people that Jesus got angry with. He didn't get angry with sinners who were sinning really juicy sins. It's not like he was for the sin. We all understand that, right? <clears throat> but for the sinner, he said, I can see past that and see who I made you to be, and I want you to receive that. But to the religious people, he was angry, and he challenged them as hard as anybody's ever been challenged. Why? Because they were painting a picture of God that was not true. He said, he said you'll go and, 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 <clears throat> and make, make people con make converts and make them twice the son of hell that you are. What a horrible thing to say to a pastor. But that's what he was doing. These were the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. So what Jesus is, he's now in this place where it says, um, for the joy that was set before him in the circumstances, he's in the garden, the, the challenge is so much. I mean, we, we go after this all the time. What he knows is coming is overwhelming. That's why he prays three times. It wasn't because he had unbelief. It was just the passion and inside of him. I don't want this if there's any other way. So if anyone comes to you and you says, there's another way to get to heaven other than Jesus, refer them back to what he said in the garden. If there is any other way, then Father, spare me from the cross. He did not 
which tells me there is no other way to come into heaven and to come into salvation than through Jesus. Acts uh, 4.12 talks about that. So he goes on, he says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew that the shame was coming. Some of us forget this. When you see a picture of Jesus on the cross, so often when we see that picture, he's wearing a loincloth. But go back and read the account. He was naked. It was the main road. It was, and they put that cross up there. They put those crosses up there because it was designed to shame and humiliate um, sinners, not just sinners, but uh, criminals. It was designed to keep people from doing bad things. And yet they kept making crosses because people kept doing bad things, even though the shame and the humiliation and the pain and the suffering of the cross was ever before them. It just goes back again and tells you, you cannot do it in your own strength. He finishes out, he says, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're told that Jesus suffered unimaginable pain on the cross, not just the physical pain, but in, as, as traumatic and as hor- horrific and as horrible as that was, but the shame, not, you know, he despises the shame of being called a criminal when he had lived a perfect life. The only one who didn't deserve that cross was the one who went on that cross and took all that pain and heartache and suffering. Why? Because of his great love for you and I. So what is for the joy set before him? What was it? And the answer was, it was you. It was me. The joy set before him is all of this sin that had been on mankind since the beginning of time with Adam all the way up to the end of time, whenever that's going to be. Jesus on the cross, says it's finished. The Bible says he gave up his, his life, right? Nobody takes it from him. He said that. I give it away as a sacrifice for something. So think about this for a second. All of the sin on that moment, on that day over 2,000 years ago, all of the sin in all of history that every single person had, had committed, horrific, horrible things. Go and read some of them. They're incredibly bad. You think, you think some of the things we've seen today is bad? They would literally take and put babies, sacrifice their babies on the altar, these altars of these, these gods. Molech was one of them. They would literally heat this thing to where its lap was, was almost molten metal, and they would put a baby on there to sacrifice that baby for their own sin. It's horrific. You can't imagine some of the things that... And Jesus said all of that sin for all humanity, all humankind, including where the cross, where these guys right in front of me have nailed my hands and my feet, to all of that sin up until now, All of the sin all over the world in that moment, all of the sin that was going to happen in all of time, including all of yours and all of mine, all of that sin in one moment was poured out upon Jesus. And he knew it was coming. So why could it say in Hebrews that he, he, there was a joy inside of him that couldn't be taken away even with that? And the answer was because joy is on the other side of that. And you can argue and say, you wish that weren't true. Wonderful. Me too. But it's the world we live in, and it's the reality that we, we live in. And we have to understand there's a worldview that can say, I wish it weren't true. And then there are worldviews that say, I understand the sin and the evil that's in the world. Why? And so there's a bunch of different ways to go after, after that. But Scripture says it came because all of our sin began to build. First, my sin personally, then my sin against my wife, and then the sin against the kids, and then my sin against the, my extended family, and then the sin in the, in the village, and then the sin in the cities, and then the sin in the whole world multiplied generation after generation after generation until it builds up all around the world, and we see some of the tragedies that we see today. So what's going on? Elizabeth and the baby inside her womb. Think about this for a second. 
There was a celebration of joy, both in the baby and Elizabeth. But why? It wasn't just because of what they were experiencing now, but it was was because of what Jesus would do in saving the world in the future. Why was Mary willing to go through the embarrassment and the shame? Why was Jesus willing to go through the pain and the suffering of the cross? Because there was joy that was on the other side of what they were going through now. The shepherds were the same way. It was not just because the Messiah was being born in the city of David. They said that was the promise that was happening. But because the baby would grow up and lay his life down for his friends, as Scripture says. Jesus endured the cross and knew that joy was on the other side. So one of the reasons that you and I can go into this Christmas season with joy, not because we're suffering maybe in physical pain in our body. The Bible says if you're suffering like that, if you're you're having that Call for the elders of the church. Call for the leaders of the church. Call for the mature believers in the church to lay hands on you and pray. Why? So that the sick will recover. So that sickness can be taken away. Why? Because Jesus never meant for us to walk in sickness. How do I know that? Scripture says every single person that came to Jesus was healed. All of them. Now the ones who came and the Bible says he couldn't do much work in his own hometown. Why weren't they healed? And the answer is because of their unbelief. Because of the unbelief that was in the world. And Jesus, oftentimes, when Jesus went to pray and raised somebody from the dead, when Peter went to pray and raised somebody from the dead, there's this interesting account where the people in the room, he puts them out of the room. Why? He said there's, un- there's so much unbelief that it has its own power. And see, this is what we fight in the circumstances. It's not just the circumstances in the world. It's also the unbelief that the world has. If Jesus were good, then why do bad things happen to good people? And my answer to that, scripturally, is there are no good people. We don't want to admit that, but that's what scripture says. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is why we need a Savior. So the challenge that we come into in this is the enemy and the world wants to paint a picture of who God is, wants to paint a picture of our circumstances that somehow we deserve it. And some of those, if we're honest, some of those things we do. A friend of mine prayed for a guy, this was up in... Um, in a, South Carolina, how do you say up in South Carolina? But it's true, everything's up from Dothan, Alabama, except Florida. So he prays for a guy and he said their whole team gathered around this guy. He had lung cancer and it it was not good. They weren't expecting him to live. And he says they begin to lay hands on him and pray for them and they're just praying, going after it, saying, Lord, you know, what's in the way? We recognize the sickness, all this, anything else in the way and they're praying. And so God gives them words of knowledge to pray against unbelief and a bunch of different things and they go after that and they're praying for that guy and and, and my friend Andrew said, he looks over, and in this guy's shirt pocket is a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> and so he said, there's a moment in his heart, while he's praying for this guy, where the enemy goes, you know what? He did this to himself, actually. He deserves it. Now, there's some truth in that. We don't like that, but there is some truth in that. Every sinful thing, every brokenness, everything that we have in our life, Some of that we brought on ourselves. Some of that is we've been sinned against. Some of that is we've sinned. Some of that is we've been sinned against by others. That's just the nature of sin. The Bible says it brings death. In that moment, Andrew said, I have to think about this accurately. Did I, do I pray for this guy to be healed because of what he's done? Or do I pray for this guy to be healed because of what Jesus did? And he said, so I made that decision. And he said, I prayed for this guy. And he said, to God's great glory, he said, this man was healed of lung cancer with cigarettes in his pocket. And if that's not a picture of grace, I don't know what is. So this is the challenge that we run into. 
um, we think circumstances, whatever our circumstances are, we look at that and go, you know, some of this I brought on myself, so we buy the lie that because of that, I have to endure my own pain. And I remember my mom, when I prayed for my mom to be healed, she had, she had cancer, she had breast cancer originally, and then it, and it ended up in her, in her uh, brain, and she, she, had, she had brain cancer. And so I remember praying for her. We came home from Bible college to pray for her, and I said, Mom, I, I, we, Karen and I have been fasting, we've been praying, we've seen God do some incredible miracles. We know some friends who, up there in, in California who had cancer, and God healed that cancer. Now, I don't understand it all, um, and I still don't understand it all, but I just know this. That because they prayed for this man and because they, they leaned in and said, God, we believe you and we're going to go after this. They saw way more healings than, than they did when they thought that, that God didn't heal, right? And so I said, Mom, could we pray for you to be healed? And this is what my mom told me. She said, no. And I said, what? And it surprised me. I said, why? She said, I don't, I don't deserve it. I brought this upon myself. I smoked my entire life. I've not lived a good life. You know, I've, I've, I've been angry with God. She goes through this whole litany of all the reasons why. She shouldn't be healed. And all of them were either people had sinned against her or she had sinned herself. And so there's some truth in that, which is why the enemy has that kind of power in people's lives. There's some truth in it. But the ultimate truth is, Jesus said, don't care about any of that. I'll save you regardless of whether you've been sinned against and the sin that you've sinned against others. I took all that on the cross. All those stripes on my back, all the pain, all that suffering, I took that. Why? So you could be healed of your sins, be healed of your iniquities, be healed of diseases, all those things. Jesus puts his hand on a leper, which is an unclean thing to do. The Old Testament said, you can't touch a leper. Why? Because their uncleanness will jump on you. And Jesus said, I don't have any, anything for that to attach to. So when I pray for the leper, what's in me is going to jump on them. And they were healed. So this is the picture that Jesus paints. And my mom says, I can't receive this because I don't deserve it. And we prayed, and we prayed. We said, Lord, would you just do it anyway? And, and, and again, I, sometimes the Lord does that. And I don't understand entirely. I just know this. What, what is mine to do? To take the Lord at his word and, and to believe what he has said to me in the same way Mary did, in the same way Elizabeth did, in the same way the shepherds did, in the same way that Jesus said, I, I, there's a joy on the other side of this, and my circumstances are not going to determine my joy. They, my circumstances will determine my happiness but they can't determine my joy. This is something Dwight Moody said about that. He said, happiness is caused by things that happen around me. And circumstances will mar it, but joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is unceasing. It is an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. What's he saying? He's saying, as I align myself with the purposes of God, there's something on the other side. If I go through this whole life with an unfulfilled promise, and I can use that my whole life to be angry at God, or I can say, Lord, I don't completely understand, but I'm not going to let the circumstance of my life tell me that you're not good. And so what that means is in this lifetime, I see breakthrough. But at the end of it all, because of what Jesus did for me on that cross, there is an eternal joy that nobody or no circumstance can take away from me. Do you have that joy? If you don't know Jesus, you cannot have that kind of joy. That's what Dwight Moody was talking about, famous preacher. If you don't know Christ, if he hasn't saved you, you cannot have peace on earth. 
The goodwill of God can't flow into your life. Why? Because you're broken in in sin, and the Bible says you are following after your father, who is the father of lies, the devil, and he is a child abuser. And then we play the victim, and there's a hundred reasons why we won't turn to God. But if we do, there's something in this that can't be taken away. This is Luke again. Blessed is she who believed that, that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Would you dare to believe this morning that God has promised you some amazing things in Christ? Some of you personally, you've heard the word of the Lord over your life, some things that he's promised you that you have yet to see fulfilled. Would you dare to believe during this Christmas season that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do? Because here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Happiness comes with circumstances or not. If you're unhappy, it's, it's oftentimes the circumstances are bad. If you're happy, oftentimes the circumstances are good. I used this illustration with somebody this morning, actually. I said, you know what? I can have a, a, a back that's aching, and I'm like, you know, Lord, I really would love for that not to be there, and I sit down and eat a juicy steak, and the whole time I'm eating that juicy steak, I can't even think about what's happening with my back because steak tastes so good, Right? And, my, and I'm like, I pray, Lord, thank you for my taste buds. You didn't have to give me those. Those are amazing things, and I'm enjoying that steak the whole time I'm eating it. And when I stop eating the steak and I walk away, now I'm, I probably ate too much, and my gut hurts and my back hurts. And so all that happiness went away because my circumstance changed. But you can't take the joy away because the joy is in my heart, and it is eternal. So what I want to leave, leave you with this is this. Happiness can come and go because of the circumstances. And even though joy is something you receive from Christ, as a believer, you still have to choose joy. So what does that look like? Let me just read this. This is a scripture that talks about how you choose joy ultimately. This is Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What is he saying? This is a salvation prayer that we tell people a lot. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's saying you have to say from what's inside of you, you have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, right? He says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus is Lord, means I'm not in charge. And then if you say, I believe that he was raised from the dead, God, you are a supernatural God that can bring even death back to life. It goes on, it says, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Two things happen. You believe something. You believe, if you're a believer this morning, you believe that Jesus has saved you. But you have to confess that too. And you have to confess that salvation is more than just, I got a ticket so I could go to heaven. Salvation literally means in the original language, all of you is saved. It means body, soul, mind, spirit. And that sometimes is a choice that you have to make to say that my my body, my mind, will, and emotions are going to submit to my spirit, and my spirit is submitted to God. You have to make a choice as a believer to say, I'm going to choose to believe what God said, and God is good. So let me end it with this. This is 2 Peter 1, 3. It says, by his divine power, talking about God, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We received all of this by coming to know him, Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Remember, those were like signs we talked about last week, the promises of God. 
It says, these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires, right? Expectations in the world. Verse 5 says it this way, and this this is the scripture I want to leave you with. In view of all of this, everything that Jesus has done, you make every effort to respond to God's promises. So this morning, have you done that? Have you chosen joys? Like, I'm, I'm dealing with depression, or I'm dealing with sickness, or I'm dealing with some challenges in my mind. I'm dealing with some relationship problems. I'm dealing with money issues. Um, that's, we live in a fallen world. That's going to be true. There are going to be times when you're eating steak, and there are going to be times when you're eating bologna sandwiches. That, the Bible says learn to be content in all those places, right? But in the meantime, are you committed to the promises that God has promised you? Do you believe that what Scripture says that He is a good God and that all good things come down from the Heavenly Father. He gives good gifts to men. That's his desire for you. And if we let the circumstances of our life mar our mind, keep us from focusing on the promises that God has, and then choosing to believe something even if we haven't seen the fulfillment of, not because we're trusting in the moment, but because we're trusting in the God of the future moment. Amen? So would you stand with me as I pray for us this this morning? My prayer is, as we go into Christmas season, that something inside of us, people would be able to see something about you that's different. Even when, especially when they know the circumstances of your life and they see joy in spite of the circumstances. There's something about Jesus that said, there's something on the other side of these circumstances that are coming at me. Something on the other side of the shame and all the challenges that the enemy's going to throw. And that that makes going through these challenges worth every second of it. Not because I love the, the, the pain and the suffering or any of those things, but because I love what's coming on the other side of it. Could you believe him this morning for the promises that he's made in Christ, for your salvation, for your wholeness, for your healing, but also a future hope that says everything that we have that causes pain, heartache, sin, anything like that in this life as believers, the Bible said he's going to wipe away every tear. Why? Because all of that stuff is going to be behind us. And every promise he ever promised, we're going to see that it's true in eternity. So Jesus, we just say thank you. Thank you for the joy of the season that pushes past even the circumstances. Lord, we love you for what you did. But Lord, we're also love, we love you for what you're about to do in our lives and through us. Jesus, rescue people. Bring people without hope into hope. Bring people without a future into their future, Lord, through us. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we'd love to pray for you. Our team is going to be up here. We put words up.